Genesis, working our way through uh, until we finally hit the New Testament, and then we have really slowed down, and uh, we've been spending quite a bit of time in the book of Matthew. We are, we are finally getting towards the end of this book, but um, still have ways to go. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to read verses 31 through 33 as our text this morning. Matthew 25, beginning with verse number 31. Amen. The Bible says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk more about these verses of Scripture in just a few moments. This is our 58th installment of our study of the book of Matthew, and um, I do believe there are some things here that the Lord wants to talk to us about. Maybe, just maybe, we'll finish this chapter today, and uh, as we finish this chapter, then we begin to get into some very, very important, important events that... Uh, place in the life of Jesus Christ when we pick up in chapter 26, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart today. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord together right now. Jesus, we need you in this house. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost in this place. I'm asking you, Lord God, that you would help us today. Lord Jesus, I need your anointing. I can't do this without you. God, nor do I want to try. Lord, I, I can do nothing without you, but I can do all things through you if you'll strengthen me. I need your strength today. I need your touch today. I want you, God, to touch the minds and the hearts of the hearers. Lord God, I want you to anoint them they might receive the word of the Lord today. God, we want you to save souls, change lives before we leave this place today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord together. Everyone, for just a moment, can we? Let's, let's worship him. Let's worship him, everybody. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Now let's really worship him. Come on, let's open our hearts to the Lord. Let's get into the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. We've got to have his touch in this place. We've got to have his help in this place today. Ah, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Uh, once again, I'm going to ask you to bear with me and uh, uh, as I do an abbreviated review uh, of the book of Matthew. Again, uh, each time that we start into this series uh, or into these lessons, Thankfully, we have folks with us that have not been with us in the previous lessons. And I'm glad for that. I want it to always be that way. I, I want it to be that way every week. Praise God. But for their sakes, there are a few things that I feel are important that we discuss, uh, that we point out to you uh, in order for you to really understand uh, what we're talking about. We, have, we, we, we are looking at the gospel that was penned by Matthew, one of the 12 apostles. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, uh, has written his gospel with the Jewish uh, reader in mind. He appeals to them. He appeals to their scriptures. He goes to the Old Testament repeatedly and uh, points out how that their own scriptures were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, he writes about Jesus to prove that Jesus was the Messiah the Jews had been looking for, that he was the king that had been promised. Amen. And so he stresses the kingly nature of Jesus and uh, stresses the fact that Jesus was indeed the Jewish Messiah. Now, Matthew, as he begins to tell the life story of Jesus Christ, and for those who don't know, all of the Gospels, that's what they really are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are simply biographies of Jesus Christ. They all begin somewhere around his birth and end somewhere around his death, burial, and resurrection. They tell his life story while on earth. Matthew, as he tells the story, um, he sets down, begins to write the first 21 uh, or 20 chapters, the first 20 chapters of his writing, he covers some 30 years of Jesus' life. In 20 chapters. Then, beginning with chapter 21 uh, through chapter 28, Matthew takes the last eight chapters and focuses on the last seven days of Jesus' life on earth. So I want you to understand that picture. I want you to get that in your mind. 20 chapters for 30 years, eight chapters for seven days. So obviously these seven days are extremely important. What happens here, what is said here, carry great significance to us. And uh, as you look at your Bible, you notice Chapters 23, 24, 25 are almost entirely written in red. They are the words of Jesus himself. These are his final lessons and sermons to the people before he is crucified. And as I've pointed out many, many times, anytime a person knows their life is coming to an end, they generally will make their last words count. They want their last words to be important. Jesus knew 
these would be his final sermons. And so he, the things that he said here are of utmost importance to us. And, uh, and as I said, when we begin, uh, when we finally pick up chapter 26 and start a storyline again, we start a narrative again, uh, we immediately find ourselves uh, in the story uh, of the Last Supper, the Lord's last meal with his disciples, the celebration of the Passover. So that's where we are in the timeline of Jesus' life. Now, two weeks ago, we began our examination of chapter 25. And um, chapter 25 uh, could only be understood in the light of chapter 24. In fact, this is one mistake that many people make in trying to translate the Bible. They want to just open the Bible, pull out a verse of Scripture, and then try to decide what it means. You can't do that. Well, you can, but you can't do it accurately. Praise God. A lot of people do it, but they're not doing it right. The Bible says we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. And this is the problem. Folks, take one verse of Scripture, and, and it's amazing to me how many verses um, sinners know. Verses like, judge not, that you be not judged. Well, they know that one. They quote that one to you all the time. As soon as you start dealing with their sin, judge not that you be not judged. Now, they don't want to hear anything else the Bible's got to say, but they like to quote that one. And they have no idea what that verse is even talking about. It just sounds like Jesus was telling us to leave them alone and let them keep sinning. And that's not at all what he was saying. In fact, nowhere does Jesus condone sin. Nowhere. Jesus never condoned sin. Jesus never okayed sin. Praise God. Even when he told the woman caught in adultery, I'm not going to condemn you, he went on to say, quit sinning. I'm going to forgive you this time, but don't go back into that same lifestyle. So, so, so it's amazing. And this is what happens is people read some little verse or hear something quoted and they never take the time to check out the context. Never take the time to find out what's being said. You know, it's, 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 like, it's like listening in on a conversation and hearing one sentence of that conversation and thinking you know what the conversation's all about. Ever had that happen to you? Somebody overhear one sentence and start trying to correct you for what they thought you were talking about when it had nothing to do with the conversation at all? Well, people do that to Jesus all the time. They pick up on one word or one phrase or one sentence and they have no idea what his conversation was. A good example of that, by the way, is John 3.16. That's right. That's right. That's another one of those verses a lot of folks can quote. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's all they know. And they don't know anything about the context. They know nothing about the conversation. They know one sentence. I can remember shortly after conversion, and of course, 
you've heard me tell the story of my conversion, how as a young boy, none of my family was in church. I knew nothing about the Bible, knew nothing about the scripture, but, but came into a church, felt the presence of God, and, and God graciously filled me with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized in Jesus' name when I was 12 years old. Nobody else in my family living for God. Didn't know anything about the Bible. And I remember I was so excited about my experience. I went to school and started telling everybody in my class about what had happened to me. And one of the boys there uh, asked me, said, do you know John 3.16? I said, um, no. He started laughing. He started calling all the other kids around. He says he's a Christian. He doesn't even know John 3.16. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you know John 3 and 5? No. Ah, oh, he doesn't know John 3 and 5. Well, none of the rest of them did either. But I did. And I'm going to tell you, John 3, 16 makes no sense if you don't know John 3 and 5. You can't just pick that sentence out of the conversation and build a doctrine. You got to know the whole conversation. And the conversation started this way. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now that's the way the conversation started. You can't then jump to verse 16 and say, Jesus said, all you got to do is believe. No, Jesus has already said, you're not going to go to heaven if you're not born of water and spirit. Jesus didn't come along 11 verses later and change his mind. Hallelujah. So if you're going to be saved, you got to listen to everything Jesus said. I, I know I'm not in Matthew 25 yet, but maybe we'll get there. Praise God. But I'm going to tell you, here's the way most people look at the Bible. Is, is as though it is a buffet. You been to a buffet? You know what it's like at a buffet? You know how you do in the buffet line? You walk through the line and say, oh, that looks good. Man, that looks nasty. I don't want any of that. Yeah, I don't know about that either. It doesn't really smell right. I don't think I, that looks like that's been sitting there a while. I think I'll leave that alone. Oh, now this looks really good. I'll take a double helping of this. And that's the way we do it at the buffet line. And that's the way a lot of people do the Bible. We start through and say, mm, no, I don't like that. I think I'll pass by that one. Well, that one looks kind of old. I, I don't think that applies to 2014. Uh, let's see. Okay, this one looks pretty good. I, I think I'll take a little bit of that. And that's the way they do their Bibles. Well, hallelujah. But I'm going to tell you what we need to do. We need to just open this book and accept it for what it says. We don't pick and choose. We don't cut things out we don't like. We don't throw things away. Hallelujah. And, and, and we don't just take things out of context. We, we have to know. Again, and, and I don't know why I'm on all this, but, you know, going back to the scriptures that sinners know, I've been amazed at how many sinners seem to know that God commanded that you kill homosexuals. 
Now, I've had a lot of sinners tell me that that's what God commanded. God commands you to kill them. And so I don't believe that Bible. God doesn't, God's homophobic or whatever. Um, and they, know, they have no idea about the context. They have no idea. They, they couldn't find the scripture if they had to. Somebody just told them it's in there. They have no idea about the law. They have no idea about grace. They have no idea about any of it. You can't just find some verse of Scripture and build a doctrine on one verse of Scripture. If you, this is why the apostle told us to study to show ourselves approved unto God. But study takes work, doesn't it? That's something this... this Society, I started to say generation. I'm going to try to stay away from that because I don't want to sound like an old fogey. <laughs> Though I am one. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, the last few days I've been dealing with some things because I got, I got an email, this cruise that's coming up next year, and I told you we've already pre-registered, and, and they sent me the documents, and it says on the documents that I'm in the age group of 55 plus. And I said, wait a minute, I'm not there yet. And then it dawned on me, I will be by the time we take the cruise. And, and, and that's the last age group. Once you get to 55, they quit counting at that point. You're so old, they don't even care anymore. So I've been really having to struggle with that. I'm, I'm reaching that old folky stage, praise God. And uh, so I want to be careful about saying this generation. Well, this generation, no, I'm, I'm going to be careful. So I'm going to say this society, all right? But this society doesn't really understand the concept of hard work. We, we, really, we really have made things so easy on so many fronts that we expect all of life to be easy. Listen to me. This is why marriages are not working because it's not easy to have a long-term relationship. You have to work at it. This is why people just get up and change churches. Because you know what? Dealing with other people is not easy. Hey, take a good look around you. I want you to understand something about this congregation. 100% of the people that are here are people. Isn't that profound? They're people. You know what that means? They've all got flaws. They all make mistakes. They all have issues. They're people. They're not angels. If this was a church full of angels, you wouldn't be welcome here. And I wouldn't either. Somebody said, if you ever find the perfect church, please don't join it. You'll ruin their record. Because none of us are perfect. We're people. And I'm going to tell you that dealing with people requires work. It requires work. It requires work. But we want everything to be easy. We want everything to be microwave. You know, we don't want to have to stand over a hot stove and cook this. We want to stick it in there, punch a few buttons, and it's ready. And that's the way we want all of life to be. And that's nice when it can be that way. But the fact is there are some things in life that just don't come that way. And understanding the Bible is one of those things. You can't just pick up any verse, punch a button, and you got your answer. 
fact, I'm going to tell you, you can punch a few buttons and get a billion answers. I've done it. Try studying the end times. Punch a few buttons and you get all kinds of answers. I'm telling you that understanding the scripture requires work. But God meant for it to be that way because God still puts a value on work. He really does. We talked about that last week. I'm really not that far off the topic because last week we talked about the man who was given a talent which was a weight of silver. He was given an amount of money and he decided the best thing I could do is just bury this in the ground. And then when I need it, I know where to get it. And so he went and got it. Didn't lose anything. He retained what he had, but the master was upset with him. He said the least you could have done was put it in a savings account and drawn some interest. But you took the easy way out. You didn't work. In fact, that's what, really, that's what, the Lord called him was a slothful or lazy servant. We don't like that word too much, but it's, it's there. And, and though the King James uses the word slothful, it really simply means lazy. And, and the Lord called this man a lazy servant because he wouldn't put forth the effort to try to better himself. Well, hallelujah. All right, I gotta, I gotta somehow get into this chapter today, but, but anyhow. So, so we've gotta understand, we've gotta understand the setting, we've gotta understand the context, we've gotta understand the surrounding scriptures if we're gonna understand the word of the Lord. We've gotta put forth some effort. Gotta put forth some study. And that's what we've been trying to do. We're here, chapter 25. As I said, you gotta kinda look at chapter 24. You gotta see the context. Chapter 24, he begins dealing with his return. He, he's dealing with the end of the world. He's dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. All of those things. He finishes chapter 24 dealing with his second coming and then opens immediately with chapter 25, uh, which talks about the parable of the ten virgins and, and then goes into the parable of the talents. One man's given ten, one man's given five, one man's given one. And, and, so, and, and so here we, we find these things as the Lord is beginning to try to show us it, it's all tied together. It all has to do with his return. And what chapter 25 is doing is really building on chapter 24, talked about his return, but chapter 25 now is telling us what the condition of the church will be at his return. He talked about ten virgins. He wasn't talking about the church and the world. He's talking about the church. And all of them went to sleep. But some of them had prepared and some had not. He then talks about those who had been given the talents. That again is the church. That's not the world. That's the church. Some of the church produced better than others in the church. Some had been given more than others talked about the fact that God's not always fair. Amen. My children, I feel confident will tell you if there's any lesson 
that daddy repeated throughout life. It was, get this, life's not fair. Because my kids, I know yours probably have never said these words, but there were times when in dealing with my children, they would look at me and say, but dad, that's not fair. I know your kids have never said that. That's not fair. And my response was, life's not fair. Just get used to it. Life is not fair. That's right. I know, I know the world is trying to create a fair environment. It's not going to happen, and it really defeats the purpose. That's right. They've taken away awards. I, I was so frustrated. I, I think I've mentioned this before. Went to my granddaughter's, um, or grandson, I forget now, one of them, I think it was my granddaughter's, uh, award ceremony at the end of the school year last year, and every child in the class got an award for something. Everybody got an award. Now, that sounds really good, but I'm going to tell you what the problem is. If everybody is awarded, then really nobody has the drive to succeed. Because you're going to be awarded whether you do anything or not. You don't have to produce anything, you get an award. So you know what happens? People quit producing. If you don't believe that's your, Lord help me, how am I getting off on all this? And why am I getting on this? I don't know. But, but listen, I know most history books will not tell you this, but if you can go back and find a true, true, accurate story of the arrival of the pilgrims to America. You know what you're going to be surprised to find out? When they came and, and started founding their first colony, they tried socialism. Maybe you didn't know that. They tried socialism. The idea was we're, we're just all going to work together. Everything that you grow, everything that you develop, it all goes into one common building and then we divide it equally among everyone. And, and what happened, they soon learned it didn't work because those who did nothing got just as much as those that were breaking their backs to plant the gardens and to weed them and to till them. And yet somebody else could stay home, do nothing all day long, and get just as much food at the end of the day. So what happened was, everybody lost their drive to work. This is why fairness doesn't work. It may not be fair for someone to have more than others. But I'll tell you what it does do, it creates an incentive for you to get out and work. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. All right. I, I got to talk about all that last week. I got to go on. Let's, let's look into chapter 25. Uh, uh, let's continue on now. We've gone through the first 30 verses of this chapter. And um, we, we want to pick up now. Actually, the verses we read as our text is where we need to start today as we begin to break this chapter down. And, and look at what is written and recorded in Matthew chapter 25. Let's look at this, verses 31 to 33. Let's read it again and listen to what Jesus says. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. 
And he shall set the sheep on his right set hand. Set the sheep on his right hand. But the goats on the left. And the goats on the left. Now, the theme is, is the return of the Lord, but, but it's not just that there's going to be a separation between the saved and the lost when the Lord returns. But listen to me. It is that there is going to be a separation among those that follow Christ. He is separating his followers. Some of his followers are sheep and some are goats. Um, sheep have, have forever been considered the emblem of mildness, of simplicity, of patience, usefulness. Sheep, uh, many times today, the, the world kind of uses that term, well, you're just a bunch of sheep. And, and what they mean by that is you don't think for yourself, you just follow. But that's what sheep do. Sheep are followers. And the Bible does call us the sheep of God's pasture. The, the idea is we are to be followers of him. We need to follow where he goes. We need to walk in his footsteps. He is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I only will not live in want if God is my shepherd. And if God is my shepherd, that means I am following where he leads me. I've placed myself in his care. But the goats, the goats, goats are naturally quarrelsome been around any goats you know not to bend over and pick anything up you, you know not to get them aggravated goats goats have those horns on their head and they know how to use them now goats Goats have no self-control. Goats do whatever they want to do. Goats are strong-willed. You might drive goats, but you don't lead them. Well, hallelujah. And Jesus said, there is a day coming when I'm going to separate my flock. Because there are some in the flock that are sheep. They've been easily led. But then there are some in the flock that are goats. They're strong-willed. They're lascivious. They just do their own thing. They don't follow. They make up their own minds. Sheep are easily led, but goats are stubborn and strong will. Now listen to me, church. I am convinced that the main factor in determining sheep versus goats is obedience. Obedience. 
That's what determines whether it is whether you are a sheep or a goat. It's obedience. Let me show you some scriptures here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me. Not Lord, everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the is kingdom of heaven. Go to heaven. Not everybody that calls on his name is going to be saved. Not everybody that says I'm a Christian is going to make it. Is that what he said? Is that in your Bible? Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's going? But he that doeth the he will of that my Father. He that doeth the will of my Father. Which is in heaven. That's who's going to go to heaven. Those that obey God, they're the ones that are going to be saved. Hallelujah. This is why I'm telling you obedience is the key factor to determine whether you are a sheep or a goat. Do you obey what God tells you to do? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about being a blind follower of a man. I'm talking about being a loyal follower of God. Do you do what God tells you to do? Or do you sit down and reason it out? Well, I know God expects this, but I can't do that. I know God wants me to do this, but, but there's no way I could afford that. I know God wants this, but... And we're constantly budding, just like the goats. I know God wants this, but... I know God expects this, but... And here we are, like a bunch of goats, trying to determine our own way and our own will and Jesus said if you want to be saved you're going to have to obey God you're not going to be saved doing things your own way I think Frank Sinatra may have been the first one to record it and then I think Elvis Presley came along and recorded it and others have recorded it the song simply said I did it my way well, bless your heart, honey, do it your way, but your way is not going to get you to heaven. You can do it your way all you want to, but that's not going to save you. You're going to have to learn to do things God's way. You're going to have to surrender your will to his will. You're going to have to give yourself to the master and become his sheep. Well, look, in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells another story. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Listen to this. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. All right, now, now, now well, hang on just a minute. Whoever hears my sayings and what? Doeth them. Doeth them. Everyone say doeth them. That's old English. We, we can say does them. Whosoever hears my sayings and does them, obeys them, I will liken him unto what? A wise man. A wise, everyone say a wise man. So a wise man is somebody who not only hears the word of the Lord, but he obeys the word of the Lord. That's a wise man. Yes, sir. Now this, this is a wise man which built his house upon built a rock. His house on a rock. And the rain descended. Rains fall. And the floods came. Floods come. And the winds blew. Winds blow. And beat upon that house. And it beat on that house. And it fell not. But that house did not 
budge. For it was founded upon a rock. Because it was founded on a rock. What was that rock? That rock was obedience to the word of God. That's what Jesus said. The wise man, I liken a man who hears my words and obeys my words to a wise man that builds on a rock. The rock is obedience to the word of God. And Jesus said, if your house is founded on obedience to the word of God, it doesn't matter what storm comes your way, that house is going to stand. Your house can withstand the tests of time if, if you'll obey the word of God. Let's read on. And everyone that heareth these things. But everyone that hears these things. Now, it sounds the same. He hears these sayings and doeth them not. And doeth them not. Both these men heard the same thing. Both of them sat through the same sermon. Both of them were in the same Sunday morning adult class. All right? They both heard the exact same sermon. But one of them said, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to do what the Word of God tells me to do. And as he began doing what the Word of God said, he was building for himself a house that could not fall. The other man said, well, that's nice, that's good, but that's his opinion. I don't see it that way. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and build my house the way I want to build it. He hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not. He shall be likened unto like a foolish to man. A foolish man. Foolish man. Now, you know, this is really two extremes, isn't it? I mean, there are some people that I wouldn't really say are wise, but I wouldn't call them fools. You follow me? But Jesus said when it comes to obedience to his word, there's really only two categories. You're either wise or you're foolish. Now, why is it foolish? Because you've already heard what he said. It's one thing to never hear it. If you don't hear it, you don't know what to do. But this man heard it and simply refused to do anything about what he heard. That, my friend, is foolish. I, I, again, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want anybody to take me wrong in what I'm saying to you. But, but I'm, I'm telling you, I can't, I can't begin to list for you the numbers of folks through the years, all my years of pastoring, that have come to me for counsel, that I have laid out, this is what you need to do. And they said, no, we're going to do it another way. And, and, and it's not because of what I said, but because I was giving them biblical principles. But they didn't want to follow the Bible. They thought they knew more than God. And they did it their way, and their, their lives made shipwreck. And they couldn't understand why. They couldn't understand why. Why are things falling apart? Why is everything going wrong? You know, God is a really smart God. Did you know that? I mean, he's really smart. God's got this whole thing figured out. And, and, and I mean, God's the one who instituted all this. God's the one who spoke it all into existence. So God knows how everything works. And God can tell you, if you'll do A, then B will result. God knows that because God's the one who set up the process. But 
but there are some people who hear it and just don't want to do it. They believe they can do it better. They believe their way is better than God's way. So he said, that's foolish. And he said, that man is also building a house. But now he's not building on the rock. What's he building on? Which built his house upon the sand. Now think about this. What kind of a foundation is sand? What kind of foundation is sand? He built his house on the sand. Read. And the rain descended. Rain descended. The floods came. Floods came. The winds blew. Winds blew. Beat upon that house. Both of these men went through the same problems. Now listen to me. Here's what everybody needs to understand. I've had people come to God, they give their lives to God, and then in a short time they run into problems. And then they come running crying saying, I didn't think if I, if I lived for God that I'd have problems. You better think again. Living for God does not exempt you from problems. What it does do is gives you the answers to that both these men one obeyed one did not obey both of them built houses both of them went through the exact same storm the rains descended the floods came the winds blew beat on the house those are the same words he used about the wise men both of them went through the exact same storm the difference was one man survived the storm the other man did not so where does it benefit you to live for God well it's all in survival it's not in escaping the storm it's in surviving the storm if I live for God if I'll do what God wants me to do I'll survive when the storm comes the storm is coming whether I live for God or don't live for God you got that the storm is coming either way. But the benefit of living for God is I've got the answer on how to survive when the storm comes. I can make it through this because I'm living for God. Hallelujah. So, so you come, you give your life to God, you receive the Holy Ghost and problems come. Don't think this is strange. Problems are going to come. But it's in those problems that you get out the Bible and you start looking for answers. You go to your brothers or sisters in the church and you talk to them. You go to your pastor and you talk to your pastor and you find out, okay, here's the storm I'm facing. What does the Bible say about this storm? Because your storm is addressed in this Bible. You hear me? Your storm is addressed in this book. Whatever the storm is, it's in this book. Somewhere, it's in this book. And the answer to how to survive your storm is in this book. Well, hallelujah. I've, 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 had, them, I've had them call me in the midst of a storm and wanting advice, wanting to know. But, but they're not wanting the advice that I'm going to give them. They want me to tell them how they can continue doing things contrary to God's word and still get by. 
but it doesn't work that way. The answer is to get back to this book and follow the plan that God gave us. And honey, you'll be surprised at how well things turn out when you do things God's way. Now it can get dark, it can get stormy, it can get severe. I'm telling you, I've been through some times that was, that was spiritually the worst tornado I've ever been through. I mean, really, tornado doesn't even describe it. Typhoon. Hurricane. I've been through those times living for God. But I can tell you that when I've gone back to this book and I've found my answers in that book, I've survived every storm that has come my way because I followed what the book told me. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. Did we finish that? We hadn't finished that, have we? All right, so, so the rains descended, the floods came, and winds fell. blew, beat on the house. And fell, and great was the And the house fell. The house fell, and great was the fall of it. The house on the rock stood, but the house on the sand fell. And oh, what a disaster it was when it fell. You know, there, there is no disaster like the disaster of those who knew better. The words of David are ringing in my ears today. David said, oh, Absalom, Absalom, thou died as a fool diest. You, 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 were, you, were, you were right there in the, in the place of safety. and It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, my friend, there is such safety in the Word of God. This is the owner's man. I know, I know, I know men. I am one. Been one for 54 years now. I, I know men. We don't like owner's manuals. We don't like directions. We're going to figure them out ourselves. Do I hear an amen from the men? You ladies keep quiet now. We don't need you confirming this. We'll figure this out. I don't need those instructions. Most of them are written in Chinese anyhow, and we can't figure them out when we get them, right? So why even try? We're just, I'm going to figure it out on my own. And after about six attempts, we finally say, well, maybe one little peek won't hurt. Oh, uh, yeah, you're laughing because you know it's true. The sad thing is too many of us, men and women alike, are that way with God's instruction Then We go through failure after failure after failure. House after house after house collapses and falls at our feet. And we're looking at destruction and ruin and collapse. And we're saying, why, why, why? And all the time, the owner's manual is sitting on the shelf. And if we just get it out, 
and say, okay, see what I'm supposed to be doing here. And we start doing it the way God told us to do it. All of a sudden, things begin to fit into place. And they begin to work the way they're supposed to. Don't ever forget, this is your owner's man. This is your roadmap to heaven. You want to get there? You're going to have to follow. That's another thing we guys don't really, we don't need a map. We'll figure out our directions, right? GPS, GPS, what a curse, what a curse. Dear God, why in the world did I pay to have another woman telling me where to turn? I don't know. But if we're going to get there, if we're going to get there, we're going to have to follow the map. And, and if we're going to get to heaven, we're not going to get there going our own route. We're going to have to follow God's map. And God's got a very intricate map. God, God even tells us what to do. Did you, did you know this? Even, even the Bible even talks about when, when someone got to their wit's end. The Bible uses that phrase, you know, it's, it's there, it's there. It's there. They're at their wit's end. It's, it's there. God even talks about reaching that point in your life where you're at your wit's end. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. You know, there's directions from that point. Still telling you how to get to where you need to be. It's all in that book. It's all in that book. The Bible is the, Bible is the best friend you've got. Well, I thought Jesus was the best friend. There's no difference. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the living Word of God. There's no difference between the Bible and the Lord. They're the same. So the Bible. Bible is the best friend you've got. It's the best friend you've got. It'll solve your marriage problems. It'll solve your family problems. It deals with your health issues. It, it deals with, with you name it, it's in here. Problems on the job, it's in here. It's, it's all here, it's all here. It's the best friend you've Fall in love with this book. Fall in love. I know, I know, I know. People pick it up and say, I don't understand it. I don't, and and, and I, I understand. And, and I'm going to tell you, without being overly critical, but just being factual, the fact of the matter is our education system has intentionally dumbed people down. It really has. It just it keeps lowering the standard and lowering the standard this, this latest common core thing is the worst thing that's ever happened to the American education system and it just is making children dumber and dumber and dumber and teaching them things that that, that are just ridiculously sick that's right 
I, I was reading just this morning, in fact, of, of a, a young girl who went to her dad for help with her homework. She was in a biology class, and in the biology class, the homework was talking about DNA, and, and it creates a, a, an assignment for her to figure out this poor girl is, has had a baby out of wedlock, and you've got to try to figure out who the daddy is. And, and the dad said, what? What? Here's what he did. He took that homework assignment, and he wrote this on the sheet and sent it back to the school. We teach our girls not to sleep around. <laughs> That's right. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. It had choices. Was it the cab driver? Was it a man she met at the club? Was it, I mean, it was, it's ridiculous. These were the choices of who's her baby's daddy. And, and it listed their blood types, and you're supposed to figure out. I'm telling you, our education system is ridiculous. It's not teaching anything they need to know. It's teaching everything they don't need to know. And there's a reason for that. And because of it, the Bible is becoming harder to understand. Now, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't that many years ago that the average individual could pick this up and read it without any problems. In fact, if you ever get a chance, just go back and go to the library and find a book that's, oh, let's say 100 years old. 100, just 100 years. I know that seems like a long time to most of you, but I've lived over half of that myself. It's really not that long, just 100 years and read the way they wrote back then and see how much more intelligent they were than we are. It's amazing. And I'm going to tell you, I believe part of it's because of the devil's plan. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe there is a conspiracy, and I believe the devil's the one behind it. I don't think it's the Illuminati and the whatever ever else they got. They talk about the Bilderbergers and I don't know, all this other nonsense. I don't go for all that stuff. But I do believe there is one conspirator who has de 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 devised a conspiracy. And it's the devil. And he's trying his best to keep God's people stupid and ill-equipped so that they will allow their houses to fall when the storms come. I'm telling you, if we'll get this book and we'll start studying it and we'll start reading it and we'll pray and we'll ask God, do you know that God wants you to understand this book? Does that make sense? God wants you to understand it. You know what I've done? Can I tell you? And, and I've got a degree in theology for what it's worth. But I'm going to tell you, there have been times that I've gotten down, I've gotten down to scriptures that I said, no, I don't understand this. And I've pulled every commentary I could find and none of it made sense. So you know what I've done? I've gone and talked to the author about it. And I said, now God, you wrote this and you want me to understand this. What does this mean? And can I testify to you today that God would lead me to other scriptures? And as I began to look at those scriptures, I said, well, that ties into this. This ties into this. Now I understand. God wants you to understand the Bible. He wants you to. Now, if you're brand new to the Bible, you're just getting started, let me tell you, the best place you can start, the book of Acts. Best place you can start. Because really, 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 
All of the New Testament revolves around the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are pointing towards Acts. Romans through Revelation are pointing back to Acts. Everything revolves around that. Start right there. It talks about the new founded church, talks about the apostles, talks about what they did, what they believed. That's a great place to start. And you really feel your spiritual muscles climbing, then you can start the book of Romans and start reading through the epistles. The epistles are letters written to churches telling them how God wants them to live. So you can start reading through those letters and you see things there about what God expects in your life. God did not leave us on this earth without any plans or instructions. God gave us very elaborate instructions. We just have to build based on his instructions. Lord, that mercy. Time has slipped away and I haven't gotten very far, have I? Um, the wise man, the wise man, and the foolish man. The only difference between the two was obedience. The only difference was obedience. One obeyed what he heard. The other did not. One survived. The other did not. It's all about obedience. God puts a premium on obedience. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Hmm. Sacrifices, burnt offerings. You know what God values more than offerings? Obedience. That's what he values more. Obedience. Have the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, Behold to obey, to obey is better is than sacrifice. Better than sacrifice. And to hearken to hearken, the fat to of listen, rams. To listen is better than the fat of rams. Fat of rams, again, is, is a reference to the offerings that they would bring to the house of God. And, and God says there's something better than the offerings you bring. And that's simply to listen to God's word and obey it. That's better. That means more to God than whatever other sacrifices you Listen to God's voice and obey it. Read on. Verse 23. For rebellion For is rebellion. as the sin of witchcraft. That is, that is willful disobedience to what God has commanded. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Read. And stubbornness. Oh, now that hurt. That hurt. Rebellion is one thing. Rebellion's one thing. Stubbornness. Some people are not rebellious, but they sure are stubborn. They sure are stubborn. Look at what he said. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I want you to think about something. Somebody said, well, all sin is sin. No, no, that's not right. That's not Bible. Not all sin is the same. There is a category of sin that is worse than other sin. 
And that category of sin is called abominations. That word means something that God absolutely hates. In fact, the word abomination gives the, 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 the idea, the mental picture that, that a person hates it so much, the hatred is so violent that it makes them sick at their stomach. And there are some things that God hates so much, they make God sick. That's pretty severe. God doesn't say that about every sin, but he does say it about what's classified as an abomination. Now, what's interesting to me is witchcraft is one of those things that God calls an abomination. Did you know that? God considers witchcraft an abomination. Witchcraft makes God sick. God absolutely hates witchcraft. He hates it. Now, if God feels that way about it, then I think we need to feel the same way about it. I know the world is trying to make it acceptable. Harry Potter and all, you know, all the Twilight, I know all, the world's trying to make it all very acceptable to you. But I'm going to tell you, I don't care what the world does with it, God still hates it. In fact, it makes God sick. God's not amused by it. God doesn't even tolerate it. Witchcraft is something God hates. Something else God hates is idolatry having other gods. Idols. God hates that. God absolutely despises it to the point it makes him sick. But here's what I want you to see. When God dealt with rebellion and stubbornness, God said, really? There's no difference. Rebellion, same as witchcraft. In other words, God hates it just as much. God hates it just as much. God hates rebellion just as much as he hates witchcraft. And God hates stubbornness. Are you listening today? God, this is, we're back to the goats, aren't we? The stubbornness. God hates stubbornness. Just like he hates idolatry. Now, we're not even finished the verses 31 to 33. This is probably all the further we're going to get today because my time is really passed up. But um, let me at least finish through verses 31 to 33. There's something else that, that I need to just point out to you, and that is that what the Bible says is that when he separates the sheep from the goats, did you notice that it said the sheep he would put on his right hand and the goats on his left hand? There's a significance there as well. The right hand, and we, we always talk about the right hand meaning power, but there's a lot more to the right hand than just power because the right hand was the side of approval. We read in the New Testament where, where Paul was given the right hand of fellowship. The right hand of fellowship. That wasn't just power, that was approval. The right hand meant approval. The left hand meant disapproval. The left hand spoke of shame, of weakness. 
And he said that he was going to put the sheep on the right hand and he was going to put the goats on the left. Now, I found this to be interesting. John Gill, in, in his exposition of the entire Bible, says that at the Sanhedrin court, you're familiar, some of you may not be, but Sanhedrin was the highest court for the Jews. In Jesus' day, when Jesus was alive on the earth, their highest religious court was called the Sanhedrin. It was their supreme court. Okay? This was it. This was the top court of the land. John Gill says that when, when they came before the Sanhedrin court, there were two scribes that recorded the verdict of the person who was being tried before the court. He said if the person was found innocent or was approved by the Sanhedrin, then the scribe on the right side would record his approval. If they were found guilty or disapproved by the Sanhedrin, then the scribe on the left side would record the disapproval or the guilty verdict. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. I've never read that before. I read what John Gill had to say. Maybe it may not, but, but if that's the case, it makes a little bit more sense as to what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm going to put the sheep on the right side and the goats on the left. It was simply a statement of approval and disapproval, of innocence and guilt. The sheep are innocent not because they've never done any wrong, but because what wrong they have done has been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Well, hallelujah. I stand before you today innocent, not because I've never made a mistake, not because I've never faltered, not because I've never failed, but because when I have, I've gone to him and I have an advocate whose name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And whatever I've done, he's forgiven me of it. And so when I stand before him, I will be recorded as innocent. But those that have never put their sins under the blood, those that have not repented of their wrongdoings, when they stand before God, it's going to be the scribe on the left that records their verdict. Rebecca, if you come to the music, try to close this this morning. We'll come back next week and finish out the chapter. I want to talk to each of you that is sitting here. I want to ask you something. None of us know, none of us knows when we're going to meet God. None of us. None of us. I don't care what your age is. This week we were at the funeral of a man who was in his 80s. But I've been to the funerals of innocent newborns. I've been to the funerals of teenagers adults, none of us has any idea when we're going to meet God. You may very well walk out of this service today and be involved in a tragic accident. And I, I'm just asking, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to paint a picture of bloom. I'm saying this to set up a question in your mind. 
I just want you to ask yourself, if you died right now in the condition you're in, which direction would Jesus point you? To the right as innocent? To the left as guilty? Have you committed to him have you asked him to forgive your sins? Have you had them washed away in the waters of baptism? Have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. We started early in our lesson with that verse. You've got to be born of water. That's baptism in Jesus' name. And you've got to be born of the Spirit. That's receiving the Holy Ghost. If you're going to enter the kingdom of God. If you haven't done those two things, Guilty is stamped on your record. And you're not going to meet God in peace. But you can correct that today. You can fix that problem today. This altar is open as we stand together. I wonder if there's anybody in this house that would like to make things right with there anybody in this service today that says, Lord, there's some things I, I want you to take care of for me. I want you to erase this sin in my life. I want you to get rid of these problems that I'm having. I want you to fill me with your spirit so I can live the way you want me to live. This altar's open. Would you come? slip out from that seat where you're at right now. Find a place to talk to the Lord. Lord, cover my sins. Hide my sins. Take away my sins. I want to be right with you. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody.